It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you did. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. 17-14 is the final. One touchdown, we are world champions. Believe it, and it will happen. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Welcome to Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com as well as the mobile app. He is Paul Dottino. I'm Lance Meadow with you for the next 60 minutes as we're here to break down all that is happening with respect to the New York football Giants. Hope everybody had a relaxful holiday weekend and a reminder that there are multiple ways you interact with us here on the program. You give us a ring at 201-939-4513. Can't get to the phone. You could use hashtag Giants chat on Twitter and you can find the archive of this show and our entire podcast network on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere and at Giants.com slash podcast. So OTA season continuing. We'll get into some of the latest takeaways from that standpoint. Also, the assistant coaches spoke to the media over the last few weeks, and we really haven't delved into much with respect to that. We were focusing more on what some of the players and Brian Dable had to say. So we'll mix and match a variety of different topics, and we'll certainly get some of your feedback as we move along here on Giants.com. Paul, hope you had a relaxful weekend. How's everything on your end? Doing well, Lance. Hope the same for you. I will tell you that the OTA this morning was only about 45 minutes uh, temperatures in the low 90s in North Jersey. It's a bit humid and sticky, uh, and so it was a welcome relief to the players not to have a two-hour session today. Uh, but this was not because of the weather. This was actually because the uh, Giants Foundation, as you know, the Giants charity, charity arm, uh, is holding their charity golf tournament today. And as many of the players as possible go there to participate and mingle with the fans and obviously raise money for some of the many causes that the Giants support during the course of the year. And this is a huge day, we should mention, for our very own Jeff Fiegels, because depending on his performance, he may qualify for an extremely minor PGA Tour event, we're told. So a lot of pressure on him today to truly deliver out there. I believe he's coming in to do tomorrow's show, and I fully expect him to be strutting if he shoots well. (laughs) Yes. Well, and for those of you who may not be following, Jeff is extremely passionate about golf. So that is why this event holds a very close place to his heart with respect to the calendar and uh, when it fast approaches. So that is why uh, he will not be having, I guarantee you, football on his mind today as he looks to conquer the course with respect to golf. I'll tell you one thing, though, uh, Lance. He's got the Arizona heat from his days with the Cardinals with him here today. Doesn't have that low humidity, though, because that's a dry heat out in Arizona. This is more of a sticky heat. Uh, in North Jersey, but uh, nonetheless, uh, I wish I wish Jeff well. I don't want him to do too well because then we'll never hear the end of it. <laughs> Correct. Yes. So we want him to sort of maybe end up in the middle ground. Yes. That pride, but not necessarily getting to the degree. I hear Grant Grinot's very good too. By the way, he is really okay. Well, must be something with these special teamers. Apparently, well, you know why they probably have a little bit more time on their hands. Exactly. <laughs> outside of studying and all the other good stuff. So that would explain why Jeff took full advantage. And trust me, he's got some great stories with respect to getting in some time for golf during the course of his NFL career. We could do an entire Big Blue Kickoff live show on that. That's how much substance there is there. But we are here to focus on what's going on right now. And one of the things, Paul, that we have not talked about that I thought would be interesting to start off with today is the assistant coaches. We had some offensive assistants. We had some defensive assistants recently speak to the media. And for those of you who may have missed it, it is up on Giants.com and the Giants YouTube page where you could see in detail everything that they had to say. But it's Always good to hear from these assistants, especially for the first time, because a lot of these guys are new. The only individual that's a carryover clearly is Jerome Henderson, and I want to start there because he actually has some history with these players. No one else on the staff can go to that degree, and the one thing that Henderson took away from his time thus far as he's learning this new scheme. Remember, he's a student as much as the players are, Paul, right now, because right, he's got to digest what Wink wants, what he wants out of the secondary, but... Jerome Henderson is not hiding from the fact that with no Logan Ryan here and with no James Bradbury, he understands this is a very young group and that there's going to be growing pains. But I think because of the aggressive nature of the defense, this was my big takeaway. He feels good that as long as they could get home up front, that it will not necessarily put these guys on an island 
more often than not. Well, I don't think that's only echoed by him. I believe that Wink Martindale feels the same way, and I know you'll get to him a bit later on, so I don't want to go too much into what Wink had to say, but I think that is really the entire focus of what this defense is about. They, as we've said, want to confuse people with their front seven and do everything they can to disrupt the quarterback so that their passing game, or the opponent's passing game, I should say, uh, does not get on track. It's really that simple. And it, it's a bonus, I think, for Wink. And I don't want to put words in his mouth because he didn't say this specifically, but I think it's a bonus for him if guys get picks because I think what they're most concerned about is with short-circuiting the other team's offense as they try to move down the field. And if they can get some forced fumbles and some sacks and those kinds of things, I think that's certainly a little bit more of a priority than having somebody glued to a receiver in the secondary and trying to make an interception. Well, and also if you're a press corner, it's tough. We've even seen that in college to get those interceptions because, you know, the bottom line is you're more concerned about making sure you're glued, as you pointed out, to the opposing wide receiver than necessarily being in a position to make an opportunistic exactly. play. Yep. So, I mean, I think that sometimes gets overlooked when people always, they look for a college plan. They're like, well, why doesn't this kid have a lot of interceptions? Part of it may simply be the strategy and the scheme. It just, it didn't call for them to have those statistics pile up during the course of their career. But getting back to your point, I think Wink and all of these defensive assistants, the one thing that has been echoed across the board is that they all, if you ask them to describe this defense, they all have used the term aggressive. Is that fair, Paul? I think yes. everyone, whenever they're asked, players, coaches, how would you best describe what this defense is going to be about? Aggressive tends to come up. So I think everyone's on the same page that they understand what the identity, at least they're hoping for, is to have. But remember, like anything else, you go into a season, Paul, and you're saying, all right, we're going to be aggressive. We're going to get after the quarterback. We're going to make people feel uncomfortable. You know, that was one of the things that Drew Wilkins, one of the linebackers coach, he said that, you know, Wink, he doesn't want the offense to dictate things. He wants his unit to dictate things. But that's all, once again, on the basis of continually getting home. And I'm not talking about, Paul, by the way, sacks. It's not necessarily sacks. It's can you consistently get hits on the quarterback? Can you make the quarterback get off of his area of comfort where maybe he has to get off his mark? He has to roll out of the pocket a little bit, and then now the timing is disrupted in terms of what the opposing quarterback is trying to do with respect to his running backs and wide receivers. Well, you know, here's the thing. When you get after another team's quarterback, there are a lot of things that could happen. You could deflect a pass because you're getting his passing lanes. You could hit him and just beat him up and make him think about the next time he drops back to pass. You can hit him and force him to fumble and create a turnover that way. Uh, you can rush him into making a bad decision or a bad throw that does turn into an interception. I mean, there are numerous things that can happen for your defense if they impact the quarterback. And that's why Wink's basic philosophy is we need to do everything we can to make his life miserable. That is his top priority, above and beyond everything else, which is why Kayvon Thibodeau was absolutely the right guy to go after in the first round. Well, speaking of Kayvon Thibodeau, that brings me to one of the things that Drew Wilkins said when he was asked about Thibodeau, he said, listen, if you put Wink Martindale in a room or in a lab, maybe is better suited to say, and you were to say, build him a linebacker or a pass rusher, Thibodeau is what would come out. That's what Wilkins pretty much said. I'm paraphrasing, but I think that was the gist of what he was getting home, which means that when they were studying all of the pass rushers, the reason why clearly they were enamored with Thibodeau is Wink believes he's exactly what he needs to get consistently to the quarterback and provide some relief for the guys on the back end. And now it's a matter of, I think, can the other guys around Thibodeau... See, if you were to ask me a storyline entering this season with respect to the front, we know Thibodeau has high expectations, Paul. 
because of where he was selected and also his college resume. You don't need to be a brain surgeon to figure that out. But when it comes to these top college players getting to the NFL and they realize, okay, now I'm going to see maybe just as much attention, if not more than what I saw in college, and I'm also going up against, let's not forget, better competition on the offensive line, meaning guys that do not have to double me. They can handle me single-handedly. I think the onus still comes down to it's not so much can Thibodeau win his one-on-one battles, but it's also can the other complementary players do enough to start taking attention away from Thibodeau so maybe he gets some of those favorable situations. That, to me, I think is something to watch in the early stages of the season. You know, how many thousands of times have you guys heard me talk about when a coordinator starts game planning for your team on Monday night and you want him to stay up all night, right, because you have headache players that he's trying to figure out how he's going to deal with. Well, the Giants believe that Thibodeau is a headache player. And that's very, very important to them, to be able to put a headache player in the front seven. I think to some degree, Leonard Williams is somewhat of a headache player. I'm not sure if he's a migraine, but <laughs> but he is somewhat of a headache player, certainly in combination with Thibodeau. I do think that combo does become a headache situation. And then when you throw in a second year of Aziz Ojolari, who certainly has the potential to be a headache player, well, now it's a pretty good situation because you have to believe an offensive coordinator is going to look at that Giants front and say, okay, there are three guys there that I got to worry about. Hmm, which ones of these guys do I wish to double? And, and this is why respect is the most important part of a defense going into a game. And I'm not talking about the kickoff. I'm talking about the week leading into the game. It is the respect that your players command that force the other team to spend the whole week game planning and establishing what they think they're going to do to you on Sunday or at least try to avoid that you're going to do to them on Sunday. That's what you want. You want that process to be as muddy and as sticky and as problematic as possible. And I would submit to you, Lance, that a front that includes Ojolari, Leonard Williams, and Thibodeau has the potential to cause a number of headaches. And I don't disagree. However, let me pose this question. As it stands right now, because I think it's interesting when you use the term respect, I think respect, in my opinion, Paul, is synonymous with production, meaning you need to prove that you're consistently a force, and then I would say opposing offensive coordinators respect you more. No and doubt. then they have the conversation, right, about needing to double you. So Aziz Ojolari is coming off an eight-sack rookie campaign, and we've talked about this on previous programs. It came in bunches, and a bulk of them came if you go and you look at the numbers earlier in the season the second half was relatively quiet do you think going into now year two so if you're the Cowboys you're Washington you're Philly let's focus on the division and you know you're going up against the Giants twice a year did Ojolari do enough in his rookie campaign to now have those offensive coordinators rethink how they want to go up against Aziz Ojolari. No. That's to me is the big question. Not right yet. Now. Okay. Not yet, which is why I said he's got the potential to be a headache player. He's not quite there yet. What the Giants need to do, and again, 201-939-4513 is our phone number. Folks, we're operating shorthanded here today with the staff. So just to let you know, if you want to dial into the program, dial in, you will hear the ringtone. And we're not going to be able to pick up and get your name or your hometown. We're just going to ask you to continue holding on and keep ringing until Lance calls out your, your name or your – actually, not your name, but your line just number. Just line, yeah. And he will get you up on the line. So please don't be discouraged. You may have to wait a couple of minutes or two. Just let the phone ring. It doesn't mean you're in a black hole or you're sitting there in limbo. <laughs> it simply means that we've got to let the phones ring until we can punch you up on the air. So I, let me just get that out of the way. Back to the point, Lance. I agree with you. To this point, Ojolari has not firmly established that respect yet. I think Thibodeau 
certainly has the potential to do that based on his college game film, but it's not ingrained in NFL coordinators' minds at this point. So if you're the Giants, the best thing that could happen to you is that in the first two or three weeks of the season, you get a lot of heat on the quarterback with those guys because as soon as they put that stuff on tape, if they get out of the gate quickly, that will command some immediate attention from the rest of the league and start to impact and change how they look at the Giants' front and how they begin to plan to face the New York defense. Yeah, and who I would also throw into the mix is, now Leonard Williams is an established veteran, so there's plenty of film on him, and they've already seen that he had the double-digit sack season. The other guy I would throw in there, aside from Ojolari, if we want to maybe label these guys as X-Factors this season, and X-Factors meaning they have to produce consistently, it's not just for their own right, but to open things up for teammates, I'd probably throw Dexter Lawrence in there. I think if Dexter can get to a point where maybe a little bit of pressure and sack production shows up, you know, then you got to think twice about how much attention you're putting towards the interior of the Giants' defensive line as opposed to just having a one-on-one matchup. So I think Dexter, you could argue, may be just as critical as what Aziz does in terms of year two for him. Well, I certainly think so in the running game. I think when, when it comes time to defend the pass, I think the Giants are going to have a healthy substitution package. I don't know yet what Wink Martindale's going to do, but there are guys who I suspect he's going to want to get on the field. Uh, I think Ellison Smith is a very intriguing wild card. I've mentioned him on the show many times before, and I do believe that Wink has has some packages up his sleeve for Ellison Smith. Somebody's going to have to come off the field, though, on passing downs for him to get into the lineup. And that might wind up being, believe it or not, Dexter Lawrence. Because the one thing about Wink is he is not afraid to throw that amoeba defense out there where he's got you know, five linebackers even on the line of scrimmage. Now, obviously, Leonard Williams is not a linebacker, and you're not going to take him off in a passing situation. But he could very easily throw four linebackers with Leonard Williams up on the line, considering Thibodeau as a linebacker, which he will consider him as a backer in a number of instances. Okay, even though you and I agree he's a defensive end coming into the draft, there'll be a number of cases where He's going to be playing linebacker for Wink. And you might have one down lineman, or you might even have five linebackers across the line of scrimmage. That's the kind of, of kaleidoscope scheming that Wink Martindale is going to present to other teams. He's done it before with the Ravens. He will continue to do it here with the Giants. So I don't know how much Dexter Lawrence will, will be part of the pass rush scheme on obvious passing downs. I do think on first and second down, he's a huge part of what they want to do without question. And I do think he's going to play a lot more defensive tackle than he did in years past. So that's kind of the way I see it. Yeah. No, I'm with you there. And I'm bringing him up because of what we've talked about previous years, the absence of Dalvin Tomlinson and the guys last year not necessarily filling the void completely. Can you get back to that level of consistency? Because then all of a sudden you don't have to worry about, A, the run game, which you want to be able to contain as much as you want to be able to get after the quarterback. And I think if there's a lot of tension that one guy in the middle of the defense draws, perhaps that opens things up for guys off the edge. Well, you know, it it wasn't just, uh, and you're right, you, you correctly assessed the loss of Dalvin Tomlinson. I underestimated it, even though I think that Austin Johnson did a nice job. Uh, of course, he's now with the Chargers. He's left via free agency. Um, I do think, though, that we would both agree the Blake Martinez injury was a huge blow to the Giants' rush defense. I mean, when you're talking about 150 tackles a year, and there's nobody on this team that was going to come up with those kinds of numbers. Yeah. Well, when you lose also a veteran who has that type of experience, I mean, forget what he did previously with the Green Bay Packers. He was by far their most experienced linebacker. Everybody else in that group, you know, didn't nearly have as much snaps on an annual basis as what Blake usually did. And also you look at his tackle production. So that goes without saying it was absolutely a significant loss. Lance Meadow, Paul Dottino with you here 
on Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. A few reminders. Giant season tickets are on sale now for the 2022 season. In addition to ticket savings, membership benefits include access to exclusive events, experiences, pre-sales, and more. You can lock in your seats starting at just $100. Call 888-NYG-1925, or you can visit Giants.com slash tickets for more information. Also, don't miss your chance to experience a premier hospitality experience watching Giants games and world-class concerts in 2022 as a Giants suite partner. Limited full-season locations are available, or you can place a deposit for individual games. Call 888-NYG-1925, or you can visit Giants.com slash suites for more information. So, as Paul mentioned, remember, we're a little bit undermanned today. It's basically, the equivalent is, it's what Brian Dable said about the Bills' usage of tight ends late last season, okay? He didn't have, right, Paul? He didn't have as many tight ends healthy. They were utilizing multiple wide receivers. Sometimes they put five wide receivers out there because they only had one healthy tight end. So yes. our production team has basically dwindled down to just about nobody because they're all more interested in watching Jeff Fiegels play golf today on the course than helping us ride smoothly throughout the course of Big Blue Kickoff Live. So it's really, it's a two-man band today. Paul and myself, we're doing it all. We're hosting, we're pressing buttons, we're going to edit the show, we're going to post the show, okay? It's true renaissance men at work, as we love to pat ourselves on the back, as you well know, for those of you who've been listening long enough on this program. So now that we've painted the scene, we just want you to understand what we're going through, okay? A lot of heavy lifting, but once again, you can call in, just know that nobody's going to be able to pick up and ask who's your name, and where you're from, Let we're just going to put you immediately we'll on hold, correct? And we will get to you, and we'll just yell out line one, line two, line three. So we do want some participation over the course of the program, but just understand that you're not going to hear anybody pick up and greet you like you normally would. But that doesn't mean that we're not going to utilize interaction over the course of the program at 201-939-4513. And, of course, hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter. You can also directly send in feedback to each of us on our own Twitter handles. But we are focusing on the assistant coaches because I do think it's always interesting to get their perspective on things, whether it be on the defensive side of the ball or the offensive side of the ball. And we spent some time talking about Drew Wilkins as well as Jerome Henderson. Andre Patterson, we should mention, also spoke to the media. And that's why I brought up Dexter Lawrence because I don't know if you noticed what I found interesting about Andre Patterson he was emphasizing, and this goes back to his days with the Minnesota Vikings because he right. was there forever. He had said, and I know maybe this is not necessarily something remarkable or extraordinary, but he was emphasizing the fact that he cannot coach his defensive linemen the same way, that he has to specialize, Paul, with each and every individual defensive lineman and cater his coaching to their skill set. And that is not something that I think most coaches talk about on a daily basis. So basically what he was saying is the way I coach Dexter cannot be equivalent to how I coach anybody else that's on the defensive line, whether or not they're playing the same position or whether or not they're playing on the outside, like a Leonard Williams who has a little bit more versatility because I'm not then specializing with them what Wink Martindale is expecting to get out of them on a consistent basis. Consider that this guy has over four decades of coaching experience in football, whether it be at the high school level, the college level, the NFL level. He has been doing this forever. In fact, a little bit longer even than I've been covering this team. Okay, I'm going into my 40th season now this year, and he's been an assistant coach. He started out at Montana as a grad assistant back in 1982. So, I mean, his experience and his knowledge at every level not only gives him a good working relationship with these guys from a football perspective because he has seen it all and been through it all, including both sides of the ball. Remember, uh, you know, he's he's not just done only defense. He's got some limited experience on the offensive side too, yep. albeit in the high school level. But my point is he also has dealt with the different levels of maturity and understanding of the different, you know, shelves of football, if you will. And I think that's probably also part of what makes him so valuable in this particular situation and why when, you know, he mentioned and you definitely picked up on it that you've got to have, you know, a variable kind of coaching style because he has, he has seen the kinds of coaching styles that will work and the kinds that don't. And he's also smart enough to understand that being totally rigid is not going to do you many favors. 
And also, then what happens is, and listen, we've seen this with respect to the Giants and across the NFL, Paul. You start putting a player into a spot within a scheme. The player's uncomfortable. The player's frustrated because he doesn't think you're using him effectively. The season goes on, and you're wondering, well, what exactly happened? Then he leaves. He goes elsewhere. The other team starts putting him in a place where he is more comfortable. He thrives, and everybody's looking around. It's like, well, why didn't the Giants get this level of production out of him? Or vice versa. I'm just using the Giants as an example. How many times, right, have we seen sometimes the fit is far more important than just the individual player on the island. Absolutely. How you utilize the player. And that, to me, was what Patterson was emphasizing. And I don't think there's enough conversation about that because I think what happens is, Paul, and once again, I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond because I do think this is an interesting facet of football. We have seen this where fans, they watch a player, and they immediately say, this guy's a bust, he's not good. And sometimes... It's a matter of the player just was not put in a position to take full advantage of his skill set. We've seen a lot of examples of that. I'm not making excuses for players, but I think that gets dismissed, and we just jump to, nah, the player didn't pan out, he's not good. Bottom line is you get to the NFL, there's something that a coach saw in you. There's something in your skill set that justifies you playing at the highest level. Now it's a matter of them applying that to a talent pool where everybody could be fairly even. So therefore, you have to sometimes move a guy around to get the true potential out of him. I agree with you, Lance. And, you know, one of the great examples, I remember when Devon Kennard was here and people were wondering, you know, obviously he had a lot of injuries and that kind of derailed what he was doing with the Giants. But then when he went to Detroit and all of a sudden his production was pretty darn high. And people were complaining, sure. oh, you're a Giants like Devon Kennard. Okay, it wasn't that Devon Kennard couldn't play, okay? I know, he was injured a lot, but that wasn't the issue. Devon Kennard was in a system with the Giants that absolutely did not fit him in any way, shape, or form. And when he got to Detroit and they swapped him around into a different spot in their system, he was allowed to flourish. He's one of those guys that you're talking about. So was Romeo Okwara. I was going to name him next. That He's was a 4-3 yeah. defensive end. He was always going to be a 4-3 defensive end. I told everybody that when he was an undrafted rookie free agent and came to this team, I said he is a 4-3 defensive end who's going to be able to play in this league. He has the talent, he has the abilities, but he's a 4-3 defensive end. And I'm not sure how the Giants are going to work him in because, as you know, they were very strongly a 3-4 team. And that concerned me because I, w I was like, you know, they better use more 4-3 packages if they want to use this guy because he's got the ability to get to the quarterback. And he goes to the Lions, and they put him as a 4-3 defensive end, and he starts putting up numbers. Gee whiz, what a surprise. You know, those two guys are probably two of the best examples over the last 15 years that I could give you of guys who were scheme fits in other places but did not have the appropriate fit with the Giants. Now, the other guy that I was thinking about, I don't think he's as good of an example because he actually did produce his first season here, and that is Marcus Golden. But the second season, see, to me, I think it was more playing time and maybe also him not necessarily being an ideal fit for the scheme at that point. But Golden did produce his he first did. year here with the Giants. He did. So he doesn't necessarily fall into the same category as the Canards and the Oquaras. He does, but he doesn't. Now, let me explain. Remember, when Patrick Graham took over the team, um, I believe, and I never talked to Patrick about this specifically because you know he was always going to be very cautious about how much he told you anyway. But... Marcus Golden, who I happen to like a lot, not only was, was I thought he was a good pass rusher, but he also hustled his butt off yep. and, and got down the line in the run game. The Giants, I believe that Patrick Graham was after more coverage skills and more range from his outside linebacker. And I also believe that because Golden was a downhill linebacker who basically he was either horizontal Okay, down the line, he didn't necessarily make a lot of tackles to his sideline. He would go down the line and pursue, or he would just go straight at the quarterback. 
Now, if you did watch Golden, and I supported him a lot, and I still think he's a good player, and I like him, but if you wanted to look at him and examine him closely, he did his best matchups against opposing teams, tight ends, or running backs. He usually did not get home when he had to face an opposing team's tackle. Okay? If he was coming off that edge and he was one-on-one against the tight end, he had a good chance to beat him. If he was coming into the backfield against a running back, good chance to beat him. But if other teams wanted to look at the Giants' defense and say Marcus Golden is their only pass-rushing threat and we're just going to make sure that we, the tackle is going gonna, is gonna to pick him up when he's coming off the edge, unfortunately, Marcus Golden did not have enough to beat tackles, even in one-on-one individual single matchups. He just didn't, Lance. And that's just the way it is. That's why Marcus Golden has never been viewed as a premier pass rusher, even though he's had double-digit sacks multiple occasions. It's because it was the, the quality of the sacks and who was he matching up with when he got the sacks that did not allow him to be a headache player. Teams never had to double-team Marcus Golden. If they really wanted to take him out, they would just make sure they manned him up with a tackle, and that was it. You did not have to double-team him at any time because he wasn't that that type of dominant pass rusher. Good pass rusher, but not dominant enough to cause headaches. And that's more of a reason why when we're talking about what Andre Patterson was emphasizing, it's not just about moving a guy around, but it's also moving a player around within a scheme so that you get those favorable matchups. That's also a big part of coaching. Identifying a player's skill set, but also who can he win more often than not? Or is he better operating in open space as opposed to putting him right in close quarters? All of those things you have to take into consideration when you determine where you want to place a player because the bottom line is it's a production-oriented business. And we'll certainly get more into that and some of the takeaways from the offensive assistants as we move along here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. 201-939-4513. That is the telephone number. Remember, we're going to tell you a line, and then if you hear a click, that means that you are hot, meaning you are on the air because we don't know the names and we don't know the locations of where individuals are coming from. So we just want to remind you when we do go to calls, that's how we're going to introduce those individuals. And remember, since we have nobody fielding the phone calls, we're just immediately putting you on hold. Just be patient, and we will certainly get to some feedback over the course of this program. But in the meantime, still focusing on the assistant coaches. We emphasized what Jerome Henderson, what Drew Wilkins, what Andre Patterson all mentioned when they spoke to the media recently. Then, on the offensive side of the ball, well, we well also, Lance, we, do, we yes. do have a caller. We just got okay. somebody on here. Well, if we have a caller, then we'll use that time to mix in some calls. So line one, let's head there. You're on the air here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. And that is short, that is sweet, and that is he went not away. a person who's very talkative. He went yes. away. Exactly. I, well, I, I, I it was a false this. start. That's what we'll label Exactly. Us. I yes. mentioned this because we've had several callers who apparently have listened to us and said, okay, I'll call, and I see the line blinking, and then they hung up too quickly. So by the time I get the message to you that we've got somebody, then we finish the statement or the comment, and then they're gone because they drop out, and they decide not to ring any longer. So we have all three lines open right now. If somebody wants to get in, please go right ahead. And we're just emphasizing patience because, once again, we're limited in terms of our team personnel. Literally and figuratively speaking. So I was talking about the offensive assistants and how we also heard from them. And once again, we're getting to know these individuals because they're brand new to the staff just as much as the defensive side. So we heard from Mike Rowe, the wide receivers coach. He spoke to the media. We also heard from Shea Tierney, the QB coach. He also weighed in on how he's developing a relationship with Daniel Jones And I thought, you know, that is important to tell. And then Bobby Johnson, the offensive line coach. The one thing that Bobby Johnson was emphasizing when he spoke with reporters is the fact that there are certain things that he looks for in offensive linemen to justify that, A, they deserve a roster spot, and B, that they warrant obviously playing consistently. And toughness and reliability 
were the two terms that he kept throwing out there because he wasn't necessarily saying reliability, meaning that you're going to show up on a daily basis and you're going to win your battles, but be able to, when you get out there, compete consistently enough to have that toughness that showcases that you're not going to be bullied. I mean, that to me was one of the things that he kept hammering home, especially with a guy like John Feliciano, that John actually likes to be called dirtbag, was what he said, because he just, he encompasses that level of identity. And we'll get once again more into that, but we want to right now head back to the phone lines and open them up to get some fan interaction over the course of the program. Let's go to line one. Welcome to Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's your name and where you're from? Uh, it's it's David from Michigan. Okay, David, welcome aboard. So, what do you got for us? Well, I was gonna. I wanted to mention to P. Dot. Uh, he's never said anything about the Fordham, and he and I are both Fordham grads. The Fordham offensive tackle that got drafted by the uh, 49ers. But I also wanted to talk about the offensive line um, and Daniel Jones. Well, go ahead, okay. David. Yeah, Appreciate go ahead. the call. So, yeah, what do you have on the offensive line? Hey, uh, it's David from uh, from Michigan, P. Dot. Good to talk to you, my man. How you been? I'm good. How are you? I'm well. Hey, One um, of the reasons that I don't talk about uh, Nick Nick Z is what I'm going to call him is because the truth of the matter is. I didn't get a chance to watch any Fordham games this year because I do play-by-play with the Northeast Conference. I'm not even sure how to pronounce Nick's last name, but he was a sixth-round pick of the San Francisco 49ers as the Fordham Rams have sent somebody into the NFL through the draft, and that's pretty cool. Yeah. Well, maybe Siegel knows how to pronounce his last name. Oh, that would be a 1,000 to 1 or a million to 1, actually. By the way, I know Siegel's not on today. He's playing golf, but I want you guys to shame him for uh, he's got this like screening thing on his Twitter feed. Like I, you have to get approved to follow him, and I've had a pending request for like three and a half months. So. Well, he probably uh, so he has a private account, I guess, which usually calls for you to have to then give permission for individuals to follow him. That's what my guess is. So I wanted to say something as a, as an old offensive lineman myself, yeah. uh, which is that, you know, I think what Shane has done with this offensive line last year to this year is amazing. I mean, it is absolutely amazing. The combination of, of Neil and these very high quality, it seems to me, free agents. Um, but the one thing I'll say, and we've talked about how, what Daniel Jones has to uh, prove in order to, you know, for, for fans and the Giants to believe in him. The one thing I want to say is that even as good as these guys are, it's going to take, in my estimation, seven games for these guys, because of the limits that they have preseason, mm-hmm. to get in sync, to get in. It's going to take them seven seven games before those gaps really begin to close. Now, I hope that they're not going to leave Jones back there as a sitting duck while they get their act together. But, um, but, but I always viewed this as a two year project, a two year draft, right? Like we're going to, we're going to need to draft uh, top flight secondary players, in, in next year's draft, like the way we emphasize offensive line and defensive line this year, we're going to have to emphasize um, the uh, secondary next year in order to really, really round things out. But I'm, I'm pretty optimistic. I, I kind of feel like we could do a nine and eight season with a lot of the wins on the back on the backside. I think that would be very welcome. Uh, David, I will tell you this. I understand your concern about the offensive line. This would be a great year for the Giants to have that Hall of Fame game, to have four preseason games instead of only three, but they have to deal with the three they've been given. And to be frank with you, I would really encourage Coach Dable, if he'll give me a few minutes at lunch, to tell him 
uh, you got to play these starting offensive linemen more than just token snaps. You can't sit them Absolutely. out of the preseason. They need to get their reps. Uh, I would be extremely disappointed if the Giants' offensive line does not play a healthy amount in all three of those preseason games. The only other thing that I would add that you need to be aware of is that guys like Feliciano, uh, Glowinski, uh, Gono, um, to be honest, even Max Garcia, who's, who's tried to fight for a spot as well. These guys are veterans who've had a lot of experience. In fact, Lewinsky explained to me that, you know, he and Feliciano know each other very well. They both played in the Shrine game like eight years ago. And he thinks that that will make it easier for this line to gel quicker than it might otherwise be able to meld together. Um, I hope he's right. I don't know that he's right. But he seems optimistic that because these guys have been through some wars already and they're roughly within a couple of years of each other, some of the other fellas, uh, they're experienced veterans, he thinks that will hasten the gelling. Uh, He needs to be right because this Giants team can't afford to have Daniel Jones running for his life into the middle of October. Well, that's why if there's two guys that probably need to play in the preseason more so than anybody else, it'd be Evan Neal since he's a rookie, and Shane Lemieux because he's coming off of an injury and doesn't have as many snaps as some of those other veterans because even though he's been in the NFL, he just unfortunately has not been fully healthy. So those are the two guys I would think probably warrant more snaps than the others if you're going to do a little bit of mixing and matching. One other thing, David, remember this. If you're right, that bodes well for the Giants because most of their division games are down the stretch. That's exactly right. And and I, I... Paul, I think you're absolutely right about the preseason games. And I also, I know there's a reluctance to play your your starters that much in preseason because you're afraid of injury. But offensive linemen, you know, that's a different story. These guys need to get choreographed yep. together. You know, like, if you've ever seen that, I know this is going to sound silly, but if you've ever seen the old Newt Rockney movie with Pat O'Brien, there are these scenes where he had the linemen working in dance steps in order mm-hmm. to get their footwork and choreography down. And and I, as I say, as an old offensive lineman myself, I, I don't care if if you've got two, two or three, Two or three new guys coming in, which in school days, you 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 know you you often did. It it just it takes a lot of work for that for those five guys to work as a unit where, where they know each other. And it's going to take seven seven regular season games for that to really bake in. David, appreciate the call, man. Stay well. Call again. Yep, yep I will. Take care. Be good. I- Thanks so much for weighing in. You know, the other thing to take into consideration is Andrew Thomas also has played next to a lot of different left guards. Sure has. So that's the other thing. Because, once again, Shane Lemieux has not been fully healthy. So they really still have to develop some chemistry. And that's assuming, of course, that Lemieux does win the starting job. So there is a lot of question marks hovering over this group. And I'm all for building chemistry. And I think it's important for some of these young guys to get some preseason work. But I would not be surprised if Brian Dable rests guys like Feliciano and Glowinski if he doesn't feel as if they need the snaps. And they'd rather maybe get opportunities for some of the guys on the back end. And remember, there's going to be some players that are fighting for roster spots. Can they play center and guard? Can they play tackle and guard? And sometimes you need the preseason to determine that. So that's the other thing that we have to keep in mind as opposed to just getting all five starters out there for the bulk of those snaps. The problem is the checklist of things to do is long, and you have to be able to balance each one of those issues equally so that you can get to all of the things on the list. See, to me, I need Feliciano to get a ton of reps because he's working with Daniel Jones. He's the one making the line calls. Lance, you know, I get it. He's coming from Buffalo which means he knows the system. He probably knows the calls. Obviously, Brian Dayball and Bobby Johnson are familiar with him, and he's familiar with them. So I think he's going to be up to speed that way, but he won't have a lot of chemistry with Daniel Jones. What we see during these flag football spring sessions is is almost worthless when it comes down to live action, and you know that. So to me, uh, I think Feliciano does need to play a lot. 
he is going to get work, as you mentioned, in practice, but it's a little bit different when you're going up against defensive linemen within a game situation and you have to make changes at the line of scrimmage. Then again, I mean, think about it. Daniel Jones has had to work with a variety of different centers in a very short period of time because of the injury. So that's really nothing new for him, whether that's good or bad. You know, that's I to was be just determined. Say, yeah, he has but, to flourish. Well, correct. But what I'm saying is, is that learning the nuances of the game with a new center, my point is he's been exposed to that. So he understands what he needs to prioritize and take care of with Feliciano over the course of a week leading up to the game because he's had to adjust on the fly over the course of the regular season last year. I mean, think about it, how many different centers they had because Nick Gates went down early and then, you know, you moved him around because you put him at guard. For a young guy, he has been battle-tested with that regard. So I, I don't know necessarily if it's a rude awakening. Yes, I'm all for trying to get him out there as much as possible. But you have to understand, coaches, they're always going to walk the fine line of prioritizing the health of the player mm -hmm. versus how many snaps I and know. work you gave them in practice versus what's good from a chemistry standpoint. That's just the nature of the beast. Because, it is. Paul, it you is. know this. They have those trackers, right, on yes, all of these do. players. And that's the other thing that influences preseason snaps. If they feel like they worked the guy very hard, whether or not in your mind they're truly getting tested against a defense or not, they're still taking into consideration how much do we want to put on this guy's plate over the course of a week in training camp when we know he's got to get through. Remember, you got that additional game now, and players are still adjusting to that since last season was the first installment of that. I, I don't know what the perfect number is, but here's what I will say. Uh, however you want to use your preseason snaps at wide receiver, at running back, at linebacker, fine. I, I have absolutely no qualms with it, and I would not advise anybody about anything. But when it comes to a rebuilt offensive line that has this many new pieces, I will stick my nose in and say, no, you need to give these guys a significant amount of snaps together. That's just me. I'm not telling you that it's, there's a right way or a wrong way because you are right about the balance because of the fear of injury, especially with the salary cap that's in place. It, it just makes things incredibly difficult when you start losing guys because they got hurt in a preseason game. It's, it's, it's horrible for a team to have to deal with that. And coaches run scared from it. And I understand why they do. Um, my feeling is... The Giants need to make significant steps this year. They have to. Their quarterback is in a very precarious situation where he needs to start showing something big time. Not just flashes. He needs to show something more than that. And in order to give him that best chance to make it happen, I think that offensive line needs to get a healthy amount of preseason snaps together. Not just one or two guys getting more than the others. No, they need to be out there together, in my opinion. And I'm all for that. I'm not anti what you're saying. I'm just dealing with the reality of the circumstance in the NFL. That even though you have the desire to achieve that, coaches more often than not are going to hold players back. And that third preseason game also is a big wild card. Some teams have viewed it mm -hmm. as, okay, we've got enough time off after the third preseason game. We're going to be fine. We're going to play most of our guys. Other teams deal with it. All right, it's a throwaway game. It is what it is. We've had joint practices. We don't need to throw the guys out there. So that's also going to vary. See, to me, Lance, it's a luxury to say that my team's established. I've got five returning offensive linemen. We've got a pretty good team that at least has a legitimate chance to be a playoff team. To me, those teams, those coaches have the luxury to say, you know what? I weigh the injury factor a little more heavily than continuity. I'm going to rest my, my starting offensive line for the entire third preseason game, and they're never even going to get out there. Sure. Well, that's a luxury, okay? You can have that luxury, you know, if you're the New England Patriots. You can have that if you're, you know, Tampa or, if you're, or Kansas City or whatever. Yeah, you, you kind of know what you got. So why roll the dice? But if you're the Giants, there's too much to gain and too much to lose if you don't give those guys extra snaps. Well, but here's the other way to look at things. In today's NFL, and the Giants unfortunately know this firsthand, given the injury rate is so high, and let's face it, it's highly unlikely you're going to go through an entire season 
where all five offensive linemen play and start all 17 games. It's just, you'd be hard-pressed to find an example. And if that happens, you should run to play the lottery because you must be the luckiest coaching staff in the history of the National Football League. So what I'm getting at is over the course of the season, there's going to be some different combinations. And I think this is also why coaches say to themselves in the preseason, it doesn't hurt to experiment a little so that we can prepare accordingly if week seven comes along and we lose our starting left guard. And then we say to ourselves, hey, you know what? Remember there was a stretch in the second quarter of preseason game number two where we put player A at left guard and he worked with this guy when he was at center. They could fall back on that. They liked the combo. They saw some good chemistry. And then once again, they'll tap back into that during the course of practice week. Sometimes coaches also use the preseason as a means to test the waters out since you don't always have the luxury to do that during the regular season. Remember, this goes also back to the quarterback situation, which obviously came back to bite the Giants. Daniel Jones is getting all the reps in practice during the course of weeks, just like Eli Manning was. All of the other quarterbacks, they're standing on the sideline. They're observing. They're watching. That's why you hear players talk about mental reps and what they do when they take mental reps because they know they'll be lucky if they get anything here or there during the course of the regular season. So it's really, it's no different then a lot of the offensive linemen, especially when it comes to being with the starters or mixing in with them, since more often than not, they're running the scout team, if they're a backup offensive lineman, to give the opposing defense the looks of what the opposing offense is going to be seeing. So that's the other thing that I think we just need to keep in mind, that some coaches come from that mindset in how they approach the preseason. Again, uh... You know, 50 might go one way, 50 might go the other way. Uh, you know, 50%, 50%. I remember talking to Joe Judge about this, and, you know, I was curious as to how he went about doing it. And we all know what happened. You know, he did not want to use his starters very much at all during the preseason. Um, I thought it was one of the things that actually helped sink the ship, to be frank with you. Um it was a decision that he made. I understand why he did it. His logic has some sound reasoning to it. You've just explained it. But, you know, it is it, ultimately, ultimately, sure. you know what happens, Lance? It, it, it's a second guess no matter how you look at it. If you play them more and it works out, oh, it was great. If you play them more and somebody gets hurt and you lose a guy, oh, my God, it was a terrible mistake. Right? That's just the way it is. And vice versa. If you don't play them much and the line never gels and doesn't get off to a good start, oh, well, we should have played them more. I mean, <laughs> you can't win. It's an automatic no. second guess. Yeah. Well, and that's why I always say with respect to injuries, you can't coach these guys as if they're in bubble wrap, but you also can't coach scared. If you go out there and make all decisions based on what could happen to a player, you're never going to win that battle because then you're going to continue, as you mentioned, to second-guess yourself. So I'm with you, Paul. I'm always of the mindset, I'm going to throw a player out there if I truly think he needs work, and hey, if he gets hurt, that sucks, but you know what? That's the risk involved in this industry. It's a physical sport. A guy could go down in preseason game number three, go down in the first week of the regular season. You're going to tell me you're going to feel better because a player got hurt I know. on the third snap of the game in week one, so it was more of a meaningful game. What difference does it make? See, You're still losing the player, right? One of the other rules that the league really should consider, and you know, I know this is not necessarily what we were going to talk about today, but I've often felt if you can have an independent medical guy deal with the concussion protocols – why can't you have an independent medical guy also deal with other significant injuries so that if a team loses somebody of significance during the preseason, why can't you get salary cap relief back for that player? For example, let's just say Team X goes into the second week of the preseason game and their starting running back winds up tearing an ACL. And that running back was making $8 million a year because he was one of the better running backs in the league. It is my belief that if the NFL could appoint an independent medical examiner to say, oh, my God, yeah, this guy really does have a torn ACL. There's no chicanery going on here, okay? And the team's going to have to put him on the IR list. I would say, at the very minimum, 
You give that team 50% of that guy's contract in salary cap relief. So now the team would have $4 million bucks to at least go out and try to get a semblance of somebody, whether it's through a trade or get somebody who's still sitting on the street. I think it is an absolute travesty and criminal that the league does not have some type of salary cap relief for a devastating IR type of injury to where a star is lost and they got to go because of the salary cap rules. They've basically got to go and pick up some guy in all likelihood for minimum wage who's been sitting on his sofa or working out on his own, and suddenly you've gone from the top of the mountain with a full-fledged starter to some guy who barely belongs on a 53-man roster. That is wrong. It hurts the quality of play in the league, and it devastates coaches and puts them in situations where they're gun-shy because of injuries. I don't know if you agree with me, Lance, but it's 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 something I've thought about for years. Another one of the rule changes, I believe, that could be made to make the league better. I just think that puts the NFL on a very slippery slope. That's why I don't see them ever implementing something like that because then it's going to be subjective. Even if it's an independent person, you're going to have to then explain the rationale. Why did you grant this team relief? Why didn't you grant the other team relief? And here's the other thing. I think the way the NFL would counter that, Paul, is they would say, we expanded the practice squad. We're telling you before the season even starts, okay? You're going to have additional roster spots to protect yourself from injury. If you're that worried about a player, then make sure you add a few more running backs on the roster or make sure you store them on the practice squad. And I get it. You could still lose a guy off the practice squad. He could be signed elsewhere. But I think what the league is telling you is we've expanded roster size to protect teams, and we're telling them to plan accordingly. Well, so that's what right. their response would that's be. Ex- that, uh, that's exactly what they've done. Because of the COVID. COVID forced them to say, look, it's unfair to these coaches who can't have their guys available for whatever the reason because of the COVID protocols, whether they were contact tracers or they really tested positive for COVID. So they said, we've got to find a way to kind of help these guys out a little bit. And they expanded not only the practice squad numbers, but the rules and the exceptions as to being able to put established veterans on the practice squad. That was their answer to make that situation better. And thank goodness they're keeping those rules intact this year. I'm absolutely thrilled with that. I would still take it a step further, but you're right. The league will hesitate to do that. In fact, they flat out probably would never uh, go with my suggestion. And they'll they'll stick with what they have and say, we think that's good enough. It gives these uh, coaches at least relief from their sunburn, if you will without necessarily, you know, going the extra mile. Well, and before we wrap up, actually, since you went in this direction, I think this is a good time because I don't think we've taken the time to do this since the announcement came out, but the league... Uh, Lance, I do believe we lost you. And I don't know why that's happened, but uh, Lance's connection seems to have been lost. I can tell you, uh, moments ago, the Giants did officially announce their 2022 preseason schedule. Now, to some of you, that may not be important, but to others, you'll understand that the NFL has a rule that training camp cannot start more than 15 days before your preseason kickoff. Well, if you think along those lines, the fact that the Giants open up in New England on Thursday, August the 11th at 7 o'clock, Count 15 days backwards, and most coaches will take the maximum allowed days of training camp that the NFL will put forth. So count back 15 days, and that comes out to Wednesday, July 27th. So that would be the likely date for the Giants to open training camp, but it is not in stone. The team has not announced anything yet. But again, just based on experience and the norm of what NFL coaches do, they'll take the maximum 15 days uh, before that preseason kickoff, and they'll open training camp then. And so, again, July 27th would be the date you'd want to at least circle on your calendar as a potential 
for the opening of Giants training camp. There are other preseason games, of course, we already have known. They're going to be home against the Cincinnati Bengals. That'll be on Sunday, August 21st. It is a 7 o'clock primetime game. And then they close out the preseason with a road game at MetLife Stadium against the Jets on Sunday, the 28th. Uh, and that would be a 1 o'clock start. And again, a Jets home game. So Jets ticket holders would have the opportunity uh, to go to MetLife Stadium for that one first before the Giants folks would have a chance to uh, potentially buy some of those tickets. Folks, as always, we appreciate you listening to Big Blue Kickoff Live. We are here every weekday from 12 noon until 1 p.m. Eastern Time. Jot down the number. It's 201-939-4513. You can always catch an archive of this show as well as the entire Giants podcast network on Giants.com, the Giants mobile app, and your favorite uh, platforms for podcasts all throughout the Internet. For Lance Meadow, I'm Paul Tatino. So long, everybody.